Hello and welcome to the Ark & Co podcast. My name is Matthew Yassin, a director in the Structured Finance team. Hello, I'm Andrew Robinson. I'm CEO of Ark & Co. The team here at Ark & Co thought we'd put together a podcast to illustrate the thoughts and feelings that are going through the commercial finance world today. What we'd like to achieve is get to understand better some industry figureheads and get to know their journey that they've been on over the last 10 to 15 years. And secondly, we'd like to understand where the industry is going in education of the next generation in the financial services sector. And conclusively, we'd like you to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your colleagues as this will help us spread the message that we want and educate others. And most important of all, please enjoy listening to Andrew and I talk about the financial world. So we're joined today by Colin Sanders. Colin has had a financial services career, but now we're in 2020. It's over four decades. Oh, dear. Sounds like (laughs) a very long time, doesn't it? But over the last 30 years, Colin has been one of the most successful and um, consistent people in the financial services industry. Colin, welcome to the Ark & Co podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Can you talk us through uh, your journey and how it all started? And when did your big break come? Right, okay. Um, well, just where it all started was right from the beginning, actually, when I left school at 16 with a, a bunch of pretty um, unimpressive O-levels. And uh, so I was just keen to get out there and get to do some work, uh, go and earn a living. Um, so I spent about a year and a half doing some pretty rubbish jobs, um, which would include silkscreen printing, um, window cleaning and a bit of insurance sales for my sins. Sounds good uh, like me, I did window cleaning as well. <laughs> but, but you know what, you, you learn a lot from that and you certainly learn what you don't want to be doing in your later years when you're doing those sorts of jobs. So, um, But my, my first uh, job in financial services was, uh, I was offered a, a job as assistant branch manager of, it was a grand title for, a, for not a particularly great role. Did you have a um, name tag as well? Uh, <laughs> I might have done, I can't remember. It was actually working for Provident Personal Credit, the unsecured lending company. And uh, really what it was, it was at the age of 18, it was a job of debt collecting. I was basically collecting overdue payments from the doors of, <laughs> of the branch, which was East London. It was Mile End, Bow and the Isle of Dogs, as it was before. What a place the to start, clans. debt yeah. collecting. yeah. No, and, and listen, whilst it's not something I wanted to do forever, I learned a lot from that. Um, learned a lot about how people behave when they're uh, overdue or um, in debt. And uh, a lot of those things have stayed with me even to, to today. Um, but fast forward to my first job in mortgages and secured lending. I was offered a job uh, for a, a mortgage broker called Money Limited, based in Chingford in East London. Um, and within a few weeks of having that job, um, I realised that the mortgage market was really something I, th- I thought I could do quite well in. Bear in mind, this was probably 1985. Um, uh, what, I, what interested me was, was learning the products, learning about different mortgages that were available. And at the time, really, it was building societies and, and a few banks and a few local bank managers offering the mortgages and one or two secured lenders out there. Um, so over a period of about five years, I, I really thrived on learning the mortgage and loan products and selling them into to, uh, the customers. Just on that bit then, so broking 1985. Yeah. 
any systems around? Or is it uh, all manually no, done? absolutely all manual, all paper. Um, <laughs> now, how many and, lenders were there, do you think? And, well, we, I think on the skewered lending side, there were probably, it was a, price, a choice of two. Oh. If you were, if you were a, a good customer, you'd, you'd be sort of uh, blessed with, with uh, getting something in the region of 18% APR. And if you weren't such a good customer, um, you're probably getting something in the 20s. This is for a secured loan at the time. So... Um, and mortgages, it was really more about, bearing in mind mortgages were not regulated at the time, it was more about local relationships like the Walthamstow Building Society or um, maybe the Halifax on a local level. What stopped them going directly to the Walthamstow Building Society um, rather than uh, you know, dealing with yourself? I, I, I don't think that's changed really in that the, you could if you were a consumer and you, you kind of had the wherewithal to do it. Um, but uh, we offered a good service back in those days and we'd, we'd literally visit the customers, we'd sign them up in, in, in the homes and we'd hold their hand. And I don't think that bit's changed. Um, so, but to summarise, it was a really good learning curve, enjoyed it. And for my age, because I think uh, that was probably from 20 to 25, financially I did very well and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, but there was a business that, that really was really intrigued everyone at the time um a business called national home loans based up in solihull um they were hitting the news because they were really the uk's one of the uk's first centralized lenders um and they were quite innovative with their products and everyone all brokers ifas couldn't stop talking about this business called national home loans um and i had I was actually approached to join a new subsidiary of National Home Loans called Consumer Loans Company um, to join as the national sales manager. And although it interested me, it was based up in Solihull. And for an East... not too bad a place. Well, no, for an East End boy who'd <laughs> virtually never been out of London, um, so, uh, Solihull sounded pretty daunting. It sounded like the end of the world. Well, I know, but did you understand their accent? <laughs> <laughs> when, when I got there, I, I uh, soon had to adapt. Um, but I realised very quickly that not only was it the talk of the town, National Home Loans, um, had amazing offices in, in Solihull, purpose-built offices, and really great people, um, a real buzz about the place, and they had some really interesting products in their mortgage side. But they had this vision to build a, um, a lot of subsidiaries offering additional products. And that was, if you like, one of my breaks. You asked originally, where were my big sort of breaks in my career? That was certainly one of them. Was Getting... that your first throw into lending? So you went from yeah. broker into lending. So that was the first time um, I, I sort of was wearing the lender's hat rather than the broker's hat. Um, and I was eased into it in a sales role, being national sales manager for this new subsidiary uh, called Consumer Loans Company. Um, and so between, that was late late 80s, so 80, late 88, I think. Um, and between 88 and 91, um, we had a fantastic time. We had a, we built a great team. Um, boom time, wasn't it? It was boom time. Um, the property market had a, a real spike at the end of the 80s, early 90s. Um, we were having a great time writing lots of new business. Um, I was part of a, a team in a growth business. Um, and I was lucky enough in early 90s to be appointed general manager of a business that had grown from literally, I think, four people when I joined. Um, to around 220 um, in mid to late 91. 
That's rapid growth. Was the main distribution there, was that through the brokerage market? It was, it was. And whilst I'd been a broker, um, it gave me the opportunity to be involved from a lender's perspective, but dealing with lots of brokers, packages, uh, albeit they looked a bit different in those days. Um, and uh, some of the life offices that, that were doing lots of the mortgages through national home loans equally wanted access to the secured loans and some of the other products we were offering. Um, so it really, again, a great opportunity for me to, to get to know a much wider distribution um, of IFAs, life offices, packages, brokers of all types. Um, but as I said, there was uh, a real bit of good fortune. I was appointed general manager of, of the subsidiary um, in the summer of 91, and that was just ahead of the BCCI crisis, which you may or may not remember. Um, in my early days. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it certainly changed a lot um, ahead of a bit of a downturn in, in the property market in the, in the early 90s. Uh, but what BCCI meant, without going through a long, convoluted story to explain why, but what it really meant was that the, all of the subsidiaries of national home loans were effectively put into runoff. Um, basically, the banking arm that supported and funded those subsidiaries was propped up by the Bank of England um, in a, in a, because of the distress that the BCCI crisis had caused. Um, and so I was appointed managing director at the, at the age of 28, uh, but of a business that was going to be running off those assets. So between 92 and 96, my job was basically to oversee the runoff of all of National Home Loans subsidiaries. And, and that included consumer loans, um, leasing, a leasing business, a timeshare funding business, um, among a, n a number of other property-related assets. Well, I'm already seeing a pattern here, you know, from starting obviously at 16, but you're going from broking yeah. into lending. Yeah. Well, first of all, sorry, debt collecting. Yeah. Then into uh, uh, broking and then into lending, but then into runoff. Into so runoff, which within was... Within 10 years, a yeah. cycle. Which was fascinating and, and seeing all aspects of the cycle still fairly young, although I didn't feel it at the time. Looking back on it, I was incredibly young. Um, but through that period, we were effectively working out how to collect money back that had been lent. Some of it wasn't quite so clever when you look back on it. Um, so I learned a lot about recoveries, litigation, selling of portfolios, something really interested me because we, we in order to get that book run off, um, much of it was through sales of the portfolios to various lenders. Um, so again, great learning curve. Um, and with the title of managing director of a, uh, of a bank, albeit a bank that was in runoff, um, gave me quite a bit of credibility to, to look for my next opportunity. So by 96, the market had started to show some signs of recovery. Um, my job had almost been done, really, with a lot of the assets having been run off at uh, National Mortgage Bank. Uh, so I was looking for the next opportunity, and uh, I was offered the job of general manager of a, a new, exciting business. Um, it resembled National Home Loans in the 80s, really. Um, in 96, it was a business called City Mortgage Corporation, um, and it was backed by uh, an American business called Cityscape, and should we just say, um, to keep it short, they were very aggressive with their aspirations in the UK. They saw an opportunity in, in the UK um, to create what was pretty new in England called the subprime market. And I know that's a dirty word now, but at the time, 
subprime was seen as something quite innovative. Uh, a business called Kensington Mortgages had already started to operate and um, City Mortgage Corporation was going to be uh, a head-to-head competitor. Uh, so between 96 and 98, um, as general manager, I was trying to affect a very, very aggressive growth plan um, at the direction of the Americans. And uh, we grew the business to uh, around 240 people, a pattern forming again, around 240 people um, over a period of two years, which also includes a couple of acquisitions. We bought a business called Homestead, which was a secured lending business, a business called J&J Securities, which was a business that a guy called David Johnson, uh, who owned, uh, he owned and sold that business into them. Got to know David very well through that process, and he becomes a key figure in my career. Um, so, in short, uh, again, very interesting experience of of being involved in a business that's in growth mode. However, um, the growth and the speed of the growth and the aggressive nature of some of the selling techniques um, brought some unwanted attention from the office of fair trading. Um, And whilst the the mortgage and secured lending market was largely unregulated back in the late 80s, um, the the attention was such that the OFT was starting to um, put some pressure on the American directors. Um, And fairly quickly, the American directors, should we say, got a little spooked and decided to go back to the US. Um, And that was probably one of my, if you like, biggest opportunities in, in my career. Um, together with David Johnson, a guy called Joe Dutowski, and uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Parrott, um, formed a management team um, that saw an opportunity to do an MBO, a management buyout of what we saw was a very good business, um, but had been perhaps slightly mismanaged, uh, got some unwanted attention from the OFT, So we had two challenges, really. Um, One was, could we convince the OFT, the Office of Fair Trading, that under UK management, um, we could behave responsibly and turn the business round in order to get their blessing? And secondly, um, I should say we managed to achieve all of that before we went forward with the MBO. We managed to get their assurances that providing we did what we said we were going to do, they were going to be supportive. Uh, But the other a pretty key issue was the the purchase price was a cool 80 million, which in 1988 was a, a big number. Um, we managed to get support after a lot of work, a, a long um, a long search um, from RBDC, which is Royal Bank Development Capital, who liked the sector, could see the opportunity, could see that we could be um, a similar operation and business to Kensington, who were making big news and and real success of of what they were doing. Um, So they put up the sum of 79 million, knowing that we needed 80, um, and and looked to the management to put in the other million, which I can tell you, back in 1988, uh, that is a lot of money. (laughs) And I certainly wasn't someone who had that sort of money lying around. So uh, between us and with a bit of help from... uh, David Johnson, who was the chairman of, of the initiative, we all managed to hock ourselves through mortgages and second mortgages and raise the money um, to affect the management buyout. Uh, and through that management buyout, we um, formed a new brand 
called iGroup um, and set about a, a strategy to sanitize the business um, and effectively go to the market with a very competitive, uh, albeit subprime mortgage, um, but to a market and look like a real option, an alternative to Kensington, because Kensington at the time were out there on their own. Um, and I group very soon became, I would like to, like to think, probably equal to, or, or certainly a, a good option if you were a broker needing a, a subprime mortgage at that time. Okay, let's just pause it there. There's a couple of in really interesting facts, actually. If you look at, you just said you had to do an MBO for 80 million. Mm. So firstly, let's talk about what it was like to try and go and pitch yeah. a lender. Mm. At a young age still, what were yeah. you, early 30s? I was probably, yeah, 33, 34. 33, uh, late 80s, and you're, uh, no one's guessing your age here, but you're going in there and asking someone for 80 million. Yeah. Oh, look, let, let's, not, um, let's not pretend that a key part of that was my chairman, David Johnson, who, who was uh, uh, certainly someone with a lot of credibility, um, a lot of charisma, um, and I think he it was a great front man for the business and and me at the time I think I was I was the 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 guy who held it all together behind uh, a lot of his uh, let, let's talk it talk about the sort of front end and the negotiation I'd often be behind making sure it happened so my role at the time would have been um, chief operating officer of that business in reality um, regardless of the title um, and so I, I think at that time I, I was very much the guy who who made things happen and David was probably the guy with the credibility and and uh, and the contacts what did it feel like um, you said there about having to raise an extra million or so yeah uh, you have to put your hands in your pocket, so you had to go and back yourself basically yeah. by remortgaging, probably remortgaging your house, yeah, or that's add, right. adding a second charge. I think we all, I think we all did it. All, all of us, uh, all four of the guys that were the the main part of the management team, um, had to in some way sort of uh, put their hands in the pockets and, and and mortgage up. But I think we believed in what we were doing. We believed in the opportunity, and although it was eighty million, it sounded like it sounded like a lot of money. We felt that that was undervalued. And the fact that the Americans wanted to retreat back to the States in short order gave us that opportunity to buy it at undervalued. And the other thing, of course, it's the same situation in any MBO. Um, management have kind of got the upper hand because if the management don't back um, the, the, the acquirer, it's, it, it's not really a deal worth doing. So uh, we were confident we, we were buying at the right number and we were confident in the strategy that we had ahead of us. So whilst we did all hock ourselves and, and borrow the money, um, we all believed that there was going to be a good outcome. And how did it feel going from working for a lender to creating a lender? It's yeah, a big step, right? It, it felt, whilst it was liberating and it was... Um, it was great to then not be responding to the directive of the Americans, in inverted yeah. commas. Um, it was scary um, because you knew that everyone was looking to you for all of the direction and um, for all of the answers. Um, and bearing in mind at the time, we'd been working a business that had had some bad publicity and had too much attention from the OFT. Um, it was at times a bit scary. Um, but by doing the right things, by um, 
treating customers fairly before the regulatory issues of uh, much later in the in the noughties. Um, actually, it, it meant that iGroup as a business got a good reputation for uh, its service and we actually, through a, a lot of hard work, won the favour of the OFT. Um, eventually, the OFT would consult us um, for the wider subprime market. So, um, you know, th- through that process, um, we learned a lot and actually managed to turn things around. Do you think it changed because you're, in theory, lending your own money, even though it's borrowed? Yeah. You've got your equity, you've got your skin yeah. in the game. Yeah. Do you think it changed your approach about how you looked at lending? Because you've got, uh, yeah. you got so your I think, risk. I think inevit- inevitably it does. And whilst you, and I've heard it said many times before, it's I always treat it as my own money. Uh, and although I think everyone adopts that principle when you, you're a responsible person running a business, it definitely t- changes your focus when it is your money. Um, um, and even if ultimately you're using warehouse lines from banks who then securitize, which is what that business model was, ultimately you know that there's skin in the game and it matters to you and your family. Yeah. And of course that's going to affect You've got the first way. loss, I guess, haven't you? Exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 So... That's that was I Group, and that was in two. Uh, that was, sorry, that was in nineteen ninety eight. Um, How did you get out? What was your exit? So, um, and this is true. We we were so focused on working with the regulator, uh, building the brand, building distribution, and putting some good products out there, and competing with Kensington. Genuinely, we didn't focus that much on who the exit was going to be. Obviously, Royal Bank Development Capital had their views on what might be the exit, but from a management team point of view, we just got on with the job and did, you know, did the business of, of trying to build distribution. And we did. Between 98 to 2001, we were originating around, I think 2001, uh, we were originating around 100 million of mortgages a month um, through many, many brokers, wide distribution, um, and Kensington were our head-to-head competitor. I think they were doing something very similar. So um, although there were other, by that stage, by 2001, there were other subprime lenders in the market, iGroup and Kensington were the two lead players. Um, now, Kensington, I'm not sure the timing of their float, but they were either about to float or had just floated. Um, and GE, the giant General Electric, um, looked at what we were doing. I'm sure they'd looked at Kensington and seen what they were doing. But obviously, iGroup was management-owned, backed by Royal Bank Development Capital, and we presented an ideal acquisition for them. Um, so in mid-2001, um, GE Capital acquired 100% of the shares of the business um, and uh, bought it for the princely sum of £210 million. Um, So the deal for Royal Bank Development Capital, I think even to this day, uh, although they've slightly changed their identity and, and how they're structured. But I think it's, if not the best deal they've ever done, it's one of the best deals they've ever done. Um, and uh, we, we're very proud of that. And oh, it's uh, fantastic. And fr- from, the, from the management point, management team's point of view, obviously that was a life-changing event. Um, it meant we could repay all of those mortgages that we'd hocked ourselves with. <laughs> those and, second uh, charges and, for you borrowing off Kensington, probably. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it just, it meant that uh, life was different. Um, what it did mean, though, under GE, um, was they've got this shiny new business, but we were based in Watford, uh, Croxley Business Park. Uh, I think at the time we had about 700 staff, because um, it had obviously grown into a big beast of a business. 
Um, but GE had their own aspirations and um, they set about bringing in their corporate team and bringing, bringing in their sort of uh, uh, Six Sigma methodology. Um, and uh, very quickly, my management team around me, my friends who had built the business, they left in short order. Um, and it meant that I was locked in. I had to kind of agree to stay in um, as uh, chief executive of GE Home Lending, as it became, um, for three years. So I had a three-year lock-in, um, whilst my three management colleagues all left the business. That was good of them. It was good of them, but I, I can totally understand it. Um, but it meant I had three years of kind of... Um, sucking it up really and, and becoming a corporate citizen um, but I have to say a lot of very good people at GE a lot of very smart people and I learned a lot through that period well I was going to say you probably working for a big corporate like GE yeah. probably added a different dimension from what you learned before uh, completely um, and whilst corporate life probably isn't for me um, I probably learned more in that three years than I did in the previous ten um, uh, certainly wouldn't want to be a lifetime corporate citizen. As, and I saw a lot of those, met a lot of those people in GE, people who, who effectively are set for their career to be in GE. And good luck to them, because if they can play that game, it, it can be a great career. But it wasn't for me. Um, and so whilst the business at GE Home Lending thrived, it became enormous. They eventually acquired First National Bank as well. And it became a an absolute giant of a mortgage and secured lending business. Um, by the time I'd finished my three-year duration, three years and one day later, I resigned <laughs> and uh, had other plans to um, team up with my old chairman, David Johnson, and create another new business. Which was called? Well, that was that was called Money Partners. And Did it differ from the other ones? Or? Uh, well, funnily enough, it looked very, very similar. To, <laughs> well, to, why change your winning formula? <laughs> well, what, what, what had happened through the GE period, um, it had become much more corporate, and um, I felt that we, we'd sort of lost some of the some of the ingredients that had made I Group so good. Um, and what so, were those? What do you think? You know, if you've got a big corporate, what, yeah. In your, you know, what you learned, what does that yeah. take away from you? To yeah, uh, what, what I think that it's certainly taken away the the focus on the customer and our customer as a as a lender at I Group was the broker. Yes, obviously you have two customers, the the borrower and the broker. But it, we felt it was important to to keep that priority of of serving the broker. And I felt within GE we'd lost that. Um, we was my job as CEO of, of GE Home Lending um, had become 95% managing upwards and reporting to the, to the states and 5% looking at what we actually did. And I wanted to completely change that. And um, under Money Partners, the, the new entity, I wanted to make sure we got back to the business of serving the brokers and, and putting the customer first. So... What, what uh, David Johnson and I did in, with Money Partners was set up and launch a brand new lender uh, to launch on Mortgage Regulation Day, which was November uh, 2004. Um, and the reason that made sense to us, although a lot of people said, why would you want to launch during regulation? Um, it made sense to us because we could see all the infrastructure within this huge business within GE and how difficult it was going to be for them to adapt to become 
you know, compliant versus a new startup, clean sheet of paper with principles to look after the broker and offer products out there with a fresh start. We felt that that in November 2004 was going to make a lot of sense. So um, I think the, the thing that might be interesting about Money Partners is actually how we funded it because it was a new startup in 2004 um, with mortgage regu regulation. Um, what actually happened was um, David and I started to look for investment and walk, walk the markets, talk to private equity investors, talk to um, funders who might want to back a new venture. Um, and our vision was that we were going to effectively try to recreate what we did with iGroup, but in a regulated market. Um, and it got a lot of attention. We had a lot of interested parties. Um, but the one that was most interesting to me and the one we ended up doing was uh, a joint venture with Kensington themselves. <laughs> so Kensington, they brought you back in. <laughs> yeah, well, Kensington, Kensington were a phenomenal business and, and um, had grown to a point. And I think um, Marty Feingold, who was the founder of Kensington, um, uh, together with their then MD, John Maltby, um, I think they could see that with the management team that created iGroup, being part of the Kensington um, fold would, could be successful and it could bring incremental business to them. And did Money par Partners become a sub-brand of, uh, of Kensington? What, uh, what we wanted to own the business, David and I, so um, we didn't want it to be that initially. We said that we wanted to start up a new brand that we owned, um, but we were happy to do a joint venture with Kensington um, using their warehouse funding, using their back office infrastructure, using their, if you like, back office to support a new, a new lender. Um, and that made a lot of sense to us. Um, and again, to try and keep it as short as possible, when we launched in um, uh, 2004, November, um, we literally um, went to the market and, and launched a brand new business that had never written a loan. Fast forward two years later, so in November 2006, um, Money Partners was originating 150 million of mortgages a month, which was the same as Kensington. So Kensington had doubled their distribution through the Money Partners brand um, by entering into a JV where we would do the origination, but they would end up with it on their balance sheet. So it was a clever arrangement driven by Kensington's um, if you like, um, ability to see the bigger picture and, and do a JV with some guys that have really been competitors previously. Did you think that, that was your natural exit? We did, and <laughs> as part of the original um, JV, we gave Kensington the option to acquire um, Money Partners, which is what they did in um, around November 2006, two years later. So we sold... We actually sold the majority stake in November 2006, um, which was, should we just say, towards the end of the good times. Um, the, the market, we all know what happened in 2007. Well, it's probably before it started to overheat. Yes. <laughs> I think it was more luck than judgment, but uh, the, the Kensington's acquisition of the uh, majority stake of Money Partners probably one of the best things that could have happened to the management team of Money Partners. Um, certainly something that gave me a lot of pleasure because the management team was made up of some very good friends, some people that worked with me both at GE um, and then they come across with to, to Money Partners with me. Um, and we had great fun building Money Partners and then we had uh, 
a, a nice payday which changed a lot of people's um, lives really um, and the timing couldn't have been better. So after Money Partners, um, did you have a break? Did you have to stay in? Well, or? let me just tell you that very quickly how that all finished. Um, uh, the credit crunch hit hit uh, hard um, and Investec acquired um, Kensington. Um, and Investec's desire to um, build the business, should we say, um, it stopped. Uh, the, the exact words the Investec uh, executives used um, when meeting me was, um, Colin, it's great to meet you. We're your new uh, joint venture investors, having acquired Kensington. Uh, we've got severe indigestion, having acquired Kensington. We don't need you 150 a month. Um, we're giving you 90 days to um, find an alternative buyer of the shares. So in, uh, this was in 2007. Uh, so we had 90 days to basically find someone to step in their shoes and buy the shares. Uh, fortunately, through our connections in the market, we managed to get Goldman Sachs to acquire the shares in the business. So the end of the story of Under Money Partners was effectively Goldman Sachs bought the business. Um, but as, as the uh, credit crunch got deeper through 2008, and everyone started to recognise that the market wasn't going to turn around quickly. Um, Goldman's effectively put that into runoff, um, which gave me a, a bit of time off in 2009. So, uh, yeah, so a bit of recuperation. A bit of recuperation, improved my handicap for a bit. Um, <laughs> um, you didn't fancy going into the runoff business again? No, um, no, I didn't. Maybe um, debt collecting? Uh, no, although I did get involved in a couple of things in 2009, 2010, which were kind of outside of mortgages because mortgages felt a bit dead at the time. Um, and one of those was a debt collections business that I invested in. So um, I, got, I got involved in a few property things and had a bit of time out because the market was pretty flat. Um, but I missed it. Very quickly, I realised that, that um, I'm not someone who can't, doesn't, you know, doesn't do much in the, in the day, get very bored very quickly. But I missed the market and I missed the, the people and, and the day-to-day -day, you know, buzz of doing stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, I wasn't very good at being sort of retired or semi-retired in, in 2009 and early 10. So you had an opportunity, it came around. I think the next one into the market was um, Omni. It was. Um, so I was sort of trying to find things to keep me busy through 2009 and 10. And then I was introduced to the Candy Brothers, um, who had had a lot of success on their with their property developments and were looking to, and had in fact just launched a new property lending business called Omni Capital. And uh, the, the Candy's chief financial officer, a guy called Ed Parsons, who's now my partner at, uh, at Tuscan, um, met me and talked about what the Candies had as a vision. And um, it looked just like the perfect opportunity for me to, uh, to get back in the seat of running a business that, that could grow. But did you see a difference from what you're looking at, you know, Money Partners, iGroup, to scale? Yeah. And dealing with more corporate, you know, GE as well, yeah. when suddenly you're dealing with very wealthy yeah. entrepreneurs themselves. Yeah. And what was the difference really with their strategy to the corporate strategy? Yeah, it couldn't be more different, but that was what interested me. Um, they, two very successful entrepreneurs, um, never going to be told what to do. 
Um, and you can't argue with that when you've had the success that they have. Um, but they had a vision to build a business that I felt I could could do justice to, and I felt that I could put a good team together and build a good brand. And but for me, the thing that was interesting is something I said that we lost it when when it was under the corporate GE thing. Um, is is that we I felt felt we could stay focused on the job we do, which is making loans and and doing property um, loans where individual transactions we could get involved in um, rather than the mass numbers that we were doing previously. Um, that interested me, get, getting involved in that at was that, that level. Was that the type of lending you were doing though? Because you changed when Omnicap to first launch. Mm. Uh, correct me now, it's probably yeah. close to 10 years ago. Yeah, but I, is, think, yeah. I, I think it was bridge lending and it then was. you went into development. Started so. bridging, um, and but we were doing uh, you know property loans for... Uh, anything from 150,000 to to a million, um, and then Christian and Nick's appetite grew as they saw the business succeed, uh, particularly with Christian's um, appetite for high-end central London. Um, we started to under Omni do more and more of those types of deals where people started to associate us with London, central London, um, trophy assets, um, and so between. 2010 and I'd say around mid 2015, um, Omni became a quite a prolific funder of, of particularly not exclusively but particularly loans in uh, in central London. Uh, what was the difference really with Omni? Uh, the scale is what I'm getting at here. Yeah. The, the number of people that yeah. work with you. Yeah. So, so our team, I think we had about 16, 17 people uh, Omni most of whom had worked with me before and were people I trusted and valued and, you know, brought a lot of experience to the party. Um, but I liked that because I felt like I, without being a control freak, I felt like I knew exactly what was going on everywhere rather than the old days of kind of through managing levels of management, you only get to understand what's going on through third-hand information. Um, and it, it was just something that, that at my stage of life, should we say, at that point, sort of late 40s, um, it just appealed to me, understanding what was going on, knowing all the deals that were going on and working just with people that I trusted. Yeah, let's talk about team. That was a good point I had down here. Uh, knowing you now for probably 10 years. 10 years, uh, yeah. 10 years. Um, what's always uh, come to me is the people that work for you been around you for a long time yeah so you've you scaled up businesses yeah and you've run businesses which are lean yeah but more individually relationship yeah what's the kind of um what do you think is the most um important thing to understand about a team when you're building yeah. in a smaller environment yeah. you've got different structures obviously on a larger yeah. corporate but in a in a smaller for me to, to building a, a the right team is all about chemistry and uh trust um, and respect, and at the same time, appreciating people's strengths and weaknesses, because we all have them, don't we? We're all good at some things and not so good at the other. Um, and trying to work out and piece together a team that, that complements each other. Um, and then when you do that, I think you have to empower them, treat them like grown-ups, and um, most often, and I'd like to think I get this right more often than not, um, it seems it seems to pay dividends in that everyone buys into what we're trying to do. We've all got a common goal, and we all support each other. Um, now you can do that in a relatively small team once you start to get beyond 
certain numbers, that becomes more and more difficult. But uh, certainly I, I think we achieved that at Omni and I think it showed through with the service that we offered to everybody. Um, uh, it and depends on the product you're offering. Again, it is very yeah. much a relationship and bespoke yeah. underwritten. So you've got to have that yeah. relationship. Uh, to, yeah. and, and going back, you know, we, we work usually you know, eight to 12 hours a day. So you probably, probably spend more time with your team than you do at home. Well, I think so. it's important to enjoy what you do, isn't it? And yeah. no one wants to get up and, and be thinking, of, you know, I've got to battle through this to get there. Um, I know most of my team, and, you know, certainly in, in my case, I wouldn't do it otherwise. You know, when I wake up, I'm I'm looking forward to getting on with the first task of the day, um, and and being part of it. Um, and when it stops happening like that, then I probably it's time to quit. Yeah, uh, it's an important point. Actually, You've got to enjoy what you do. Very first much. So. Of all. I like to think my team enjoy what they do, and it it comes through um, in in I think the attitude towards the client as well, the client and the broker. That's the environment you're working as well. That's yeah. all part yeah. of it. But we've spoken about the team of the past, which has stuck stuck with you. Yeah. What about new people coming in? It's very important. Financial services does evolve, and there's been we come on to big changes in uh, in the future. But mm. the key thing is bringing new people, new blood into the market. Yeah, uh, uh, and mentoring them in different ways. Yeah. Um, now with the businesses you've got currently, mm. which are more bespoke, mm. how easy how easy is it to bring new people and new talent into the sector? Yeah, no, it's 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 not easy. Um, what we I had both at, um, at Omni and again at Fortwell, we have been trying to bring people on that are not necessarily university graduates uh, but are smart people that are willing to to learn from the the very ground up um, and that doesn't exclude graduates but we're certainly happy to see people that have maybe done their A-levels and want to go and get a job because after all that's what I did 35 years ago just wanted to go and get a job and learn um, and I think we've had a couple of real successes with people that have come through early 20s and become part of the team uh, just by being happy to get stuck in and learn from the, the grassroots. Well, I think you said that earlier on empowerment, which yeah, I run a small team as well, and empowering people at a young age yeah. is so important. And looking at some people which may have come from a grad scheme or a big corporate, yeah. sometimes they can't take that responsibility on. Yeah. Uh, so giving them that confidence, that yeah. comes from that mentoring. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, it takes time and you yeah. need to back them, but you've yeah. got to give them the confidence to make a decision and get involved yeah. rather than just following a, a, a structure. I agree. And, and I think if the attitude of the new recruit is right and they're prepared to, to learn from the very bottom, but you've got, you're surrounded by people that are willing to do a bit of mentoring just through sharing their experience and giving a helping hand. I think with the right attitude, that's a good ingredient for fast-tracking um, the right individuals. Um, and we, we've got a, a particular guy called Steve Powell Freeman who works for, for us at uh, Tuscan. Uh, he's in that category. He, he joined us back at Omni um, as a, 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 a sort of a, a guy who was just keen to learn. And uh, what he's done, I would say, he's done, 
done a great job, but he's also um, taught a lot of the oldies a lot of stuff too on the way through. Um, what, technology? Yeah, a bit of technology. <laughs> maybe a bit of Excel, some skills that uh, some of them didn't have. Well, I'm quite, um, quite intrigued, actually. I think the FCA still uh, make us have a fax line number. Uh, so we still have a fax in our office here and it's, it's got dust on it and a lot of the younger grads don't even know how to use it yeah. uh, so they don't know what a fax is but um, let's come on to technology then yeah. so how do you think now your business um, uh, now is more about individuals yes. and relationships yeah. and bespoke underwriting what, there's a lot of movements in tech into lending but what do you think are the important parts of technology uh, which will really enhance what you do and, and better yeah. the market yeah, I, I, talking about the market in general, clearly there's technology enhancements um, that are vital, particularly in a regulated market. And if you do, if you're operating in a mass market, excellent technology and decisioning is is important. And I've seen that through various businesses I've been involved in, and that is is critical in the business I run today, where it's all about um, specialist lending. Um, operating in the margins or, or where you need flexibility, I think technology can actually make that a little more difficult. And so there's obviously a baseline technology that you need, um, but I think you need that human decisioning in, in what we do, say, for example, in Tuscan. Um, so whilst technology has its place and technology can be vital in certain business models, and I'm thinking of some of the challenger banks, for example, that are offering some great products, um, and the way in which they offer them, they need to be technology-led. Um, but some of the specialists around the around the margins, I think they probably, you can't get away from the good old-fashioned individual interaction and using a good old bit of grey hair and, and knowledge to actually make a decision. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. It's the type of business you're in. But I think, um, you know, on a basic level of technology, yeah. if you look at the KYC stuff, you yeah. know, smart search or yeah. uh, digi-identity, yeah. uh, and then you've got um, uh, docu-signs, yeah. all of these elements, which are now, they've been around for a while, yeah. but the technology is coming into the lending market, which if they're embraced, either lender or broker, yeah. they can really pick up that no, speed I, I to completion. Agree with that. I do agree with that. And, and that's technology that we at Tuscan use, and I'm sure most lenders uh, in our markets do, and it's, and it's a massive step forward forward um i think from my side on the brokerage side you know if you're using a smart search or digi identity yeah. uh it gets um uh, rid of the need for stamping yeah you know id yeah, yeah. Uh, which carries a big risk in the broker market yeah because you know i don't work for the passport office so i don't yeah. know if it's real yeah uh, uh, but so so having that uh technology there where you know one it's speed but also certainty yeah. uh, uh, and and reduces your risk yeah, no, agreed. And, and I think that anyone not adopting that is going to get a lot left behind. Um, it, it's, it's a key ingredient, really. It's a, I, I, certainly when Tuscan launched two years ago, um, we adopted smart search as part of our process to streamline the, the KYC process. And if you don't, I think you start to look a bit clunky. Um, and again, with a broker's interaction to that, um, more, the more the better. Let's go on to Tuscan then. You know, yeah. Two years now, I couldn't believe it. It is two years, I can't <laughs> believe it. Um, we've, we, uh, we launched in February um, 18. Um, and uh, I mentioned Ed Parsons, who's my partner. He was formerly the CFO of Candies. Uh, so um, as, you might, as you might guess, uh, you know, sort of someone I'm very comfortable with who's, who's 
got a skill set that I don't have. Um, so I think we're quite complementary. We get on well. Um, and when we decided to set up Tuscan, we knew the people that we wanted on our team sheet. Uh, we were confident they would join us to try and try and sort of create the business that we wanted, um, which is a management-owned business that has um, solid private equity backing from a business called uh, Quillam Capital. Friends of ours, Kieran and Mark, um, were launching their own private equity house about the time we were launching. So they, because we know them and trust them and uh, they were keen to team up with us, they were a natural choice. Well, that's an important point though, because if they're new into the PE side, yeah. they've got to have their ratios and spread uh, across their loan book. Mm. Uh, so they must have really trusted you to um, launch. Yeah, well, I think having the track record helped and also having... Um, both Ed and I had dealt with Mark and Kieran um, in their previous life, was at Shawbrook and RBS. So we both know, known each other for a long time, trusted each other. Um, they could see what we were trying to achieve. Um, they'd looked at what we'd done at Omni and thought that's, that, that's a, a strong possibility that we could recreate what we created there. Um, and so far, so good. We have uh, built up a loan book over to two uh, two years we've we've got three different funding lines now um there's not much we can't do in the bridging space um and uh, we're looking to enhance what we do with some one or two additional products in the near future so um we're we feel like we're in a good place and after the recent election we're very optimistic about 2020 well, that's good do you feel pressured though to get um uh, their money out to deploy it so some people can come into the market and they want to hit the road they want to run before they can walk yeah. and that's where mistakes can yeah. happen yeah. in my mind um you know you've been very experienced over the last um uh, 30 years colin <laughs> <laughs> so just kind of do you feel pressure from the investors to get their no, return no in, no and just to actually double back when before we launched when we were looking for a private equity backer we did have one or two very large funds come to us to to effectively create a very aggressive business plan and put lots of money out very quickly and we we resisted that temptation simply because a lot of competition, um, a fairly challenging market you know, in terms of property market and with Brexit. Um, so what Ed and I much preferred was a stable, um, sustainable growth plan for the first couple of years um, in order to then reevaluate and then grow from there. So we resisted that temptation because we could have done it. There's a couple of fairly large funds that would have been keen for us to try and put out quarter of a billion in the first couple of years we resisted that um, and we felt we could make much more sensible uh, prudent lending decisions by just building through a fairly stealthy business plan um, and where we are now is is a position where we've got two years under our belt solid team platform systems we've got new funding now um, so we can start to perhaps put the foot down a little bit more and, and just ease into a bit more growth in 2020. I think it's very important in a lender to have that stability. So you had that two, you know, two years you've created that platform, not under pressure, took it easy, uh, done sensible lending. Yeah. Uh, but what you just said there, you've got three credit lines now, funding lines, yeah. which is now giving you the firepower to kick off with the right infrastructure in place, which gives a longevity. Uh, into creating a, yeah. a a good lender. I think st uh, sustainability is is the key, um, and having 
the right team in place. Um, and I won't say we took it easy in the first two years, but you know we were we were careful with what we did. Um, and you know we may need to recruit more people as we grow, but we've certainly got the infrastructure um, in place and uh, a, a, a happy team. So and you're uh, venturing back into the Midlands, I see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my family home is is in Knoll, which is a village just outside of Solihull. We won't um, come knocking, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, when we were looking to expand our distribution and, and our, our, our reach, if you like, um, for me, a Birmingham office made a lot of sense. We like the region, understand the region, and um, whilst our HQ is most certainly uh, in, in central London, and that's where our back, back office will always be, um, our first regional office made a lot of sense in Birmingham. I've got a lot of contacts there, know a lot of brokers, um, and uh, one or two developers as well. Um, and it feels like Birmingham's a, a boom place. Um, uh, you know, in terms of how it's changed in the last few years and a lot of businesses um, looking to locate there, lots of interesting um, retail and, and uh, restaurants opening in central Birmingham. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we're pleased about it. Well, I think it's great. You've got a, I think in your business, which is more bespoke, you've got to have that closer link to the end client. Mm. And uh, there is, from what I've always I've seen, you know, if you're a big retail bank, it doesn't matter if you're based in Edinburgh, Bournemouth or wherever, you know, mm. you're the same platform. Yeah. But if you've got that bespoke relationship, you've got to be close to where the market is yeah. uh, to create that trust. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think whilst um, we lend Tuscan lens in all across the UK in England and Wales um, we've done the majority of our business in the southeast and in, and in London um, and and so I think we needed to have slightly more more of an affinity with say our first regional office and and, and have that reach because people associate us as a London-based business with a London appetite. Well, whilst that is true, um, we've also got an appetite for good deals in the Midlands and uh, being able to see clients, see brokers, do a site visit with that Midlands reach, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. So moving forward, um, uh, with regards to new talent, coming into the industry, not people working for you, say, but people that wanted to create a lender. Yeah. Now, what would you, we've touched on many different things today, but what would you say are the key points if you want to create uh, a lending business, mm. uh, which is going to be sustainable mm. for the future? Yeah. What's the biggest tips? Yeah. Um, whilst I don't want to give too much away to too, too many new competitors, because there's plenty of them out there already, um, what I would say to, to what are the ingredients of a, for a new lender it's you've got to have the right lending experience uh, as a priority so that's someone making the credit decisions um, you've got to be able to have access to the market through distribution so, so how are you going to how are you going to get your loans how are you going to generate that business um, but more importantly than all of that is you've got to have a funding um, structure and funding sources that are going to allow you to do what you want to be doing. Um, getting a funding line at any cost is no good to you. It's got to be at the right price. It's got to be, you've got to be able to lend it on, on the basis of what the product that you want to put into the market. Um, I've seen lots of funds, credit providers, funders, 
um, or funding sources that um, are keen to put their money out. Um, but when you look at the conditions and the covenants and the, and the credit terms, it's not usable. Yeah, it doesn't match what and the market that, is requiring. That, that would be the biggest mistake, if you like. Rather than a tip, I would say the biggest mistake for a new um, entity going to the market would be getting a, a funding facility or funding source at all costs and not paying attention to how you can actually apply it to the market because that's an easy mistake to make. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and reversing it on the brokerage side. You know, you've been through a couple of cycles now yeah. and massive change in uh, uh, that market. Yeah. What would you say going forward now, the, the brokerage market, the yeah. advisory as, as we call it, yeah. how do you see that changing and affecting? Um, well, it has, it's massively changed, hasn't it? Um, and I would say it depends on your model uh, or where as a broker you, you're going to go to market, what's your model going to look like? Um, the if you like the high volume brokers intermediaries that are doing mass numbers then technology is important um and it becomes a bit more of a conveyor belt and it's more about negotiating exclusives with lenders and uh, and offering something that is slightly different to the market by uh, maybe you're offering a, a special um but that that's a mass market broker um and that's essential if you're doing if you're going down that route um, but if you're more advisory, um, if you're more um, customer focused, where you get into, you actually know and understand the individual customer, you cannot get away from the fact you need to be a well-educated, um, well-rounded uh, advisor who is going to then own the deal, own the own the customer, own the transaction, and handle it from start to finish um, to be successful. And that. There's no technology can, can change that. No technology can take place of that. Um, so I'd say you can't beat good old experience and, and expertise and ownership of the customer to be a successful advisor. And you probably know that better than most. Well, the you know professionalism. I mean, I've been in the market twenty years. As I said, the first application form I ever did to Bank of Scotland was through a fax machine. <laughs> and uh, so that things changed. That was on a mortgage uh, basis. But if you're looking at advisory and where we think the value is now, we're not mass market. We are very much individual uh, uh, related. To me, it's about knowledge yeah. uh, uh, is the most important thing. So investing in your team has yeah. uh, got to be the biggest thing. What you said there is end to end. Yeah. You know, that, that's our strategy. You know, we're, we're start to finish. We, we only deal direct with lenders direct with clients and the advisor in the middle is uh, what I call uh, a quarterback mm. quarterback he quarterbacks a deal yeah. and they control it start to finish and that takes a certain type of person you can't and that's where you have to recruit so it goes back to your team building empowerment the type of people they are and then that's the end product uh, brings out the professional advisor mm. I think we're in a real competitive market now in, in brokerage uh, there's a lot of recruitment going around uh, at the minute uh, but for me it comes back to a bit like yourself with lending core team stability yeah. um, creating that trust yeah. within the brand yeah. uh, and, and this for the long term play uh, it's, it doesn't matter if you're lending or broking it's solid business uh, uh, backbone of a business yeah. uh, and that's what you, you, you need to have and te using technology in the right ways 
regulation, as yeah. it were, you know, it's, it's a great thing, embraced in the right way. Yeah. Uh, and that comes down to um, knowledge and empowerment again. So if, you're, if you've got regulation, it doesn't just mean it's not restrictive. Mm. It's these people are educated uh, to advise the client in the best way. Yeah. Um, so that's where we, you know, we see the business going, but keeping the core uh, business um, ethics and, uh, and traits. I, I uh, agree. Uh, I think it's a, what you have is a rare commodity, though. Um, there aren't many advisory firms out there that do own the customer from start to finish. Um, and that plays to your, plays to your strengths. But uh, certainly my experience over the last 10 years in short-term lending... Um, it's fairly infrequent that you have the advisor owning the customer you know, from start to finish and helping them from um, initial meeting through to execution. Very often, um, the advisor loses interest on the way through. Yeah, well, that's the type of person again, isn't it? They're either salespeople, yeah. <laughs> they're not yeah. really yeah. administration on there. But yeah. that also is an important point because what we spoke about, the smart search and the technology, yeah. bringing the quickness of that in to help the broker do it is yeah. supportive. Yeah. So it's got to be embraced yeah. uh, by, uh, by showing the support uh, for the advisor. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, that's a little bit lighter. Uh, things um, you have a nickname called the Colonel. Oh yes, <laughs> so, always. Where, where's the Colonel come from? The, well, the Colonel. Bear in mind, I was uh, in school in the through the seventies, late seventies. Um, Kentucky Fried Chicken was really quite popular, so it could have been a lot worse uh, than being called Colonel Sanders. And uh, the everyone knew me as Cole, Cole Sanders. So uh, the Colonel was abbreviated to C O L. Uh, whenever you saw Colonel Sanders. So it was a natural match for my name. And believe me, it could have been a lot worse. Well, I knew you were coming in today, so I did um, Google Colonel Sanders, <laughs> not knowing it was KFC. So okay. I, did, I didn't, re- didn't realise the resemblance, but there's a bit of grey hair there now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, when, I, when I wear a goatee, there's more than a resemblance, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Colin, uh, I just want to finish up and say thank you for coming in. Okay. Uh, but also, there's, it's really important for an industry that I'm passionate about. Uh, to have uh, someone you can talk to like yourself who adds true added value to the market over number of cycles. Uh, and for us as a, a brokerage in the market, it's really important to have yourself within it. So thank you, Dan, not just uh, individually for my business, but for the industry as a whole. Thank you very much. Shucks, Andy, shucks. No, thank <laughs> you, thank you. That's very kind of you.